Hello and a very warm welcome to the latest edition of Nightlight. With me on the program today is Robert Mandelbaum. Robert is from Jewish background. And on this program, we're going to be taking a look at some of the key scriptures that tell of the past, present, and future of the nation of Israel. Welcome to Nightlight, Robert. Hello, Chris. Glad to be here. I should probably start off by letting your listeners know that I am a Messianic Jew. That means I have accepted Jesus Christ as my King, my Lord, and my Savior. Nightlight's Interview of the Week. Robert, I know that a certain portion of our Christian listeners will maintain that God has no future plans for the nation of Israel, that because of their history of almost continual backsliding and rebellion against God, that Israel has forfeited all of their covenant blessings and that God is through with the Jews. But that's not what the Bible teaches, right? No, uh, and you're right in, in bringing that up because these facts are attested to in the Old Testament books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and most of the Old Testament prophets. God is not finished with the Jews, and it would seem this belief stems mainly from a doctrine called supersessionism. What's supersessionism? Supersessionism is also replacement theology or fulfillment theology and is a Christian doctrine that has parallels in Islam. In Christianity, supersessionism is a theological view on the current status of the church in relation to the Jewish people and Judaism. It holds that the Christian church has succeeded the Jewish people as the definitive people of God, or that the new covenant has replaced or superseded the Mosaic covenant. Right. I'm checking my notes here. There are some very interesting verses in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And let me just read these to your listeners. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, Jesus, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. So, Chris, what do these verses appear to imply? That God does have a future for Israel. Definitely. Jesus did not say Israel is finished. He did not say that the kingdom will never return. He said it was not for you to know the times and seasons, apparently, when this is going to take place and happen. Right. So, Robert, there's always been, so to speak, an Israel within Israel, and the Lord has not removed his covenant promises from those Jews, even though they may be few who remained faithful to the covenant. And, of course, God used a very small remnant of faithful Jews to become the first Christians and start the early church. Oh, absolutely. The early Christian church, which was actually at that time called the Way, was started by primarily all Jews. That's right. And you remember at one point they uh, uh, had 3,000 added to the church in one day. At another point, 5,000 added to the church. And the book of Acts said people added to the church on a daily basis. What a lot of this comes down to, what the big issue is, what we're talking about is faith. The really big issue is faith. And Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him him being God. It's nightlight. What a delight. One of the questions you have to ask, why did God choose Abraham and the Jews? Yes, that's a key question. Why? I'm going to read some verses now out of the book of Jubilees. And at the end of this talk, if we have time, I'll explain more about the book of Jubilees for those who aren't familiar with it. Good. In the 39th Jubilee, which is 1870 AM, AM stands for Year of the World. In the second week of the first year, Terah took to himself a wife, and her name was Edna. 
the daughter of Abraham, the daughter of his father's sister. And in the seventh year of this week, she bare him a son, and he called his name Abraham by the name of the father of his mother, for he had died before his daughter had conceived a son. And the child began to understand the errors of the earth. Now, we're talking about Abram now. I know there were two Abrams here, but we're talking about the second one who became Abraham. Right. And the child began to understand the errors of the earth that all went astray after graven images and after uncleanness. And he was two weeks of years old, which is 14 years old each week. And this is uh, also borne out in Daniel chapter 9, a week in the Bible is seven years. That's right. And it says he, Abram, was two weeks of years old, which is 14 years old, and he separated himself from his father that he might not worship idols with him. Now, I'm going through several different chapters and just picking up uh, various verses. And he began to pray to the creator of all things that he might save him from the errors of the children of men and that his portion should not fall into error after uncleanness and vileness. And it came to pass... In the sixth week, in the seventh year thereof, that Abraham said to Terah his father, saying, Father, what help and profit have we from these those idols which thou dost worship, and before which thou dost bow thyself? For there is no spirit in them, for they are dumb forms and a misleading of the heart. Worship them not. Worship the God of heaven. So th- this is uh, quite a revolutionary thing, because he is in Ur, the Chaldees, where Idol worship was the main the main form of worship. Right. And in the sixtieth year of the life of Abraham, that is nineteen thirty six AM year of the world, in the fourth week in the fourth year thereof, Abraham arose by night and burned the house of the idols, and he burned all that was in the house, and no man knew it. And he prayed that night and said, My God, God most high, thou alone art my God, and thee and thy dominion have I chosen, and thou hast created all things and all things that are the work of thy hands. Thou, the eternal God, art my God. So Abraham is making an absolute declaration of faith here, declaring the idols worthless and that the God of heaven is his God. He goes on, Thou, the most high God, art my God forever and ever. And he said unto him, being Abraham, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee the land of the Canaanites to possess it forever. Now, that's a very interesting, forever. Right. And I shall be God unto thee and thy seed after thee. And I shall establish my covenant with me and thee and thy seed after thee throughout their generations for an eternal covenant. God promised Abram because he chose God, the true God of heaven over the idols, that he would, this land, he's going to establish a covenant with him for an eternal covenant. Eternal eternal covenant, so I may be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I shall give to thee and to thy seed after thee the land where thou hast been a sojourner, the land of Canaan, that thou mayest possess it forever, and I shall be their God. This is a very strong statement. Yes, a lot of forevers. This can also be found in the book of Genesis, these same type of statements, eternity, forever. And God said, Yea, and Sarah also shall bear thee a son, and thou will call his name Isaac. And I shall establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant, and for his seed after him. All this was before God changed Abram's name to Abraham, and before the temptation of Isaac. Wow, some key passages. This book, the book of uh, Jubilees, is a very important book, and many Christian churches still regard it as scripture. 
And listeners, I've recorded the full book of Jubilees, which you can find on this channel with read-along text. And if you haven't read the book of Jubilees, also known as Little Genesis, I think you'll find it very interesting. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses out of the, the book of Genesis now that corroborate these verses out of Jubilees. He says, I will establish my covenant with thee and thy seed after thee to their generations for an everlasting covenant. There it is again, everlasting covenant to be thy God and the God of thy seed after thee. And I will give to thee and thy seed after thee the land wherein thou sojournest, even all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be to them a God. And that's Genesis 17 verses 7 and 8. And the word everlasting appears in both verses. Does this mean Israel and the Jews continue to be God's chosen people? Let us look at some scriptures with a different perspective. I'm going to read a couple of verses now out of uh, Matthew 21. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. That's Matthew 21, 42 and 43. Now, this would seem to be completely at odds with what God promised Abraham in Genesis 17. Can we reconcile this seeming conundrum? Well, that's what we're going to try and do right now. And you can see what you think of it for yourself. Okay. Before we continue, I want to point out a very significant verse from the book of Romans, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Uh, this is Paul. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. That's a very important point. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. Jesus even said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And this is the point that we were making just a few minutes ago. It's faith. Faith, faith, faith. Jesus said, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Why? It seems because of their unbelief or lack of faith. And what was their major unbelief and lack of faith? That Jesus was the Messiah. Right. Many, many people in Israel at that time rejected it. But again, I want to place the emphasis that the entire Christian beginnings were by Jewish people who did believe by faith and created the Christian church. That's right. So this unbelief or lack of faith is what has caused the major problem here. And Paul makes this very clear in the book of Romans, chapter 9 and 10, when he says, uh, this chapter 9, verse 31, But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. That is the difference. They didn't accept it by faith, but they wanted to accept it by their own works you know, keeping the Mosaic law, which is impossible. It's an absolute impossibility to keep the entire Mosaic law. That is why Jesus had to come. And James says, who shall keep the whole law and even offend in one point, the same is guilty of all. Let's make it very clear, Robert, that under the new covenant, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, that there are no special privileges to Jews when it comes to salvation, right? You're absolutely correct there. God is no respecter of persons. And salvation all the way through the Old Testament and New Testament had always been accepted through faith, never by the works of the law or the works that people may consider their righteousness. Right. Paul makes it clear in the book of Galatians that there are no 
in the world today, a special called out people. When he said there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Very important point there. If you believe in Jesus, you are the spiritual seed of Abraham and possibly even the physical seed and heirs according to the promise. And again, in Romans chapter 2, he is a Jew which is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart of the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. Right. Paul has, has a very encouraging thing to say also in chapter 9 of Romans concerning the Jews. And we're going to start in verse 27. He says, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as a sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as a sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. And that's Jeremiah 33. Three, the first verses were from Romans 9, verse 27, and Romans 10, verse 22. So the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as a sand of the sea, a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. And as we brought out, there is a Israel within Israel. There are those with faith and those without faith with unbelief. An example of this is First uh, Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 13. It says, It came to pass when Elisha heard that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went forth and stood in the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What doest thou here, Elisha? Uh, this is uh, when uh, the Israel had really got into idol worship. And the Lord uh, tells him, And thou shalt leave in Israel 7,000 men, all the knees which had not bowed themselves to Baal, and every mouth which had not worshipped him. Again, you get this, there is a remnant, even back in the time of Elisha, when most of Israel went after Baal, Elisha was bemoaning it, I'm, I'm the only one left, I'm the only one left that believes in you. And God said, no, you're not the only one. There are 7,000 still who have not bowed the knee to the idol Baal. In Isaiah 10, 21 and 22, it says, The remnant shall return, the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as a sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return, that a consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. The light is always on with nightlight. Robert, before we go on and talk about God's future plans for Israel in his millennial kingdom on earth, could you explain what was God's intended purpose for the original nation of Israel? Why did he single them out as a special people? Well, one of the very main purposes of Israel, he created them a nation of priests. They were to shine God's light to the entire Gentile world. That was one of their main reasons God chose them. And of course, we go back to Abraham as well and all that. But yes, Israel's, one of their main jobs that God had for them to do was to bring God's light to the idol-worshipping Gentile nations of the world. And of course, they failed miserably in that commission. So when did the Jews stop being God's special people? When did the biblical nation of Israel cease to exist? Well, of course, the, the nation of Israel ceased in a, in a practical term. You're talking about 722 in the 10 northern tribes. By that time, Israel had split into uh, two nations, Israel and Judah. 
Israel, of course, the 10 northern tribes were dispersed throughout the world in 722 BC by the Assyrian Empire. And then Judah, which included uh, Benjamin and uh, was it part of Simeon? I can't remember. Were destroyed in 586 BC when the Babylonian army under Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the city and the temple. Right. Of course, there was no talk of the nation of Israel until May 15, 19. 48, when the land of Palestine, the mandate was given to the state of Israel to become a nation there, which had never in world history happened before. And that was, of course, a fulfillment of prophecy that the nation of Israel would be restored in the last days. Yes, yes, that... uh that is a prophecy. You're definitely correct there. Well, let me read, Robert, just one of those prophecies. This is from Isaiah 43, 5 and 6. It says, Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And of course, this prophecy was amazingly fulfilled in 1948 with the formation of the modern state of Israel, with Jews returning to Israel from the four quarters of the world. But sadly, they have returned in unbelief. And we are told that we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But in reality, there will be no true peace in Israel until the Prince of Peace comes again to set up his millennial kingdom. Robert, according to last day's scripture, what major events are going to transpire in Israel between now and the second coming of Jesus? Uh, just to name a few, the Antichrist will sit in the soon rebuilt temple of God, proclaiming that he himself is God. That's in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. God's two end time witnesses will prophesy 1,260 days in Jerusalem doing miracles, Revelations 11. The trumpets of tribulation will be sounded, Revelations 8 and 9. The mark of the beast will become mandatory to be able to buy or sell, Revelations 13. The battle of Armageddon will take place, Revelation 16. And the destruction of Babylon will occur in Revelations uh, 17 and 18. So those are just some of the things that will be taking place in the last days concerning Israel and not just Israel, but the entire world. Nightlight, keeping you in tune with the times. Robert, just before his crucifixion, Jesus prophesied in Matthew 23, 39, For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And the Lord was, of course, speaking to the nation of Israel. And there are a number of passages in both the major and minor prophets that foretell this repentance of a remnant of the Jewish people at the coming of the Messiah King, who they then realize was Jesus Christ. Maybe you could pick out a couple of those prophecies to share with us. Yes, there's some very interesting verses in Zechariah 12, 8 through 10. And it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the weak among them in that day shall be as David, and the house of David as the house of God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and compassion. They shall look upon me because they have mocked me and they shall make lamentation for him as for a beloved son and they shall grieve intensely as for a firstborn son. So it would seem at the very end, 
very end of the tribulation that those Jews that remain in Jerusalem finally recognize that Jesus is God's son and do receive him and they are grieved apparently that they have not done so before this. And of course, before this, during the reign of the Antichrist, the Jews in Israel will suffer three and a half years of the worst kind of persecution and tribulation in their history. Well, I can make a quick comment on that. When the Antichrist does arise and the mark of the beast is implemented, it is extremely unlikely, and I would say impossible, that the Jews would ever receive a man who claims that he is God. And in that day, I believe, and many others believe as well, that the Jews will become some of the fiercest opponents of the man, the Antichrist, and his image of the beast, the man who is now calling himself God, that they will be in complete rebellion and rejection of this idea. And of course, as a result, Israel suffers terribly under the Antichrist. Well, still in, in Zechariah, two-thirds of them are going to get, well, one-third is going to get wiped out, and another, well, it sounds like two-thirds are going to get wiped out. Yes, Robert, it is two-thirds. Here it is in Zechariah 13. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. So that's very clear, Robert. Two thirds are killed by the Antichrist and one third make it through to the second coming of Jesus and the millennium. Well, yes. I mean, after the uh, Battle of Armageddon, clearly from uh, the book of Isaiah and other books, God, through Jesus, sets up his kingdom once again in Jerusalem. The last chapters of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 40 through 48, are all about a temple that has never been rebuilt, where uh, Jesus and the prince, it calls them, will reign. A lot of people are familiar with this. The word of the Lord is going to go forth from Jerusalem, and it is the belief of many that the Jewish nation will once again be responsible for that temple, and that the word of God and will go to all the nations during the thousand-year reign of Christ, mostly known as the millennium. So perhaps this will be a time when the Jews are redeemed, and they become the light to the world that God had planned for them. Absolutely. Could it be the Jews will be ministering in the temple and in Jerusalem, and the Christians helping rule the nations during the thousand-year reign of Christ. It's a speculation, but is it a possibility? Definitely it is. At this time, Jerusalem will be the world's capital. We have some verses here. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took hold of their hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they abode not in my covenant, and I disregarded them, saith the Lord. For this is my covenant, which I'll make with the house of Israel. In those days, saith the Lord, I will surely put my laws into their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they will be to me a people. And they shall not at all teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and their sins. I will remember no more." That's uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 in the King James Version of the Bible. I'm going to just close now 
with just a few verses out of the book of Romans. And again, these are very important verses concerning the Jews today. This is starting in Romans chapter 9. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For this scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared through all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto him, Why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted as well? Nay, but, O man, who are without replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Why hast thou made me thus? Has not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had before prepared unto glory, even us whom he has called, not the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. And Paul goes on, we won't get into any more scripture reading right now, but Paul goes on to explain how the natural branches of the olive tree, how easily they could be grafted back in to the people of God. And that is apparently what happens toward the very end of the tribulation when God sets up his kingdom on earth. Lighting your path through the end times. You're with Nightlight. Robert, let me just clarify for our listeners that the individual Jews that form the corporate millennial nation of Israel have all received Jesus Christ as their savior. We know that the present-day Christian Jews, Messianic Jews such as yourself, would have all gone up to heaven at the rapture. So these Jews, who are part of millennial Israel, all must have received Jesus as their Savior after the rapture. And they're not going to be part of millennial Israel and a sample and a witness to the rest of the world just by being Jewish. And indeed, the millennial nation of Israel which has Jerusalem and Mount Zion in its midst, from which the Lord is ruling the millennial earth, its citizens will be comprised not just by Jewish Christians, but by Christians of other nations as well, all spiritual Jews. That would seem to be the case, yes. You have to compare Scripture with Scripture. It says there's neither Jew nor Greek, man nor woman. So who is a Jew? who is a son or daughter of Abraham, it's obvious that those who by faith, and again I'm going to say by faith, receive Jesus as the Messiah. Whether they do it now, whether they do it in the millennium, it has to happen. So in spite of all Israel's backslidings, the whole sad Jewish history of rebellion against God, God's covenant promises with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will not be frustrated. And in the millennium, God's original purpose for Israel to be an example and a witness to the heathen nations of the world will, through his infinite mercy and grace, finally be realized. That's, that's absolutely correct. Those promises that God made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Israel all those years ago, they have to be fulfilled or God is a liar. They have to be fulfilled and they must be fulfilled. You're absolutely correct. Robert, 
You and I, around five years ago, we produced a documentary filmed in Israel called The Coming Temple, which has had millions of views. And listeners, you can search for it on YouTube. And the documentary is about the third Jewish temple that Bible prophecy says will be built in Jerusalem before the last three and a half years of the reign of the Antichrist. But in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 46, we read a detailed description and building plan for another temple that has not yet been built and presumably will be built in Jerusalem at the beginning of the millennium. Yes, the temple, of course, will be the main center for the dissemination of light and truth to the entire world. And it's even very clear in the Old Testament scriptures that the nations have to come up and show, respect and observe the, the messiahship of Jesus. And those nations that don't come up and are rebellious, it says that God's going to withhold the rain even from them. Unfortunately, even in the uh, millennium, there are still going to be rebellious nations, it looks like, and rebellious people. But Psalm 2 says Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron. It's not going to be a democracy. It's going to be God's rule with a rod of iron. That's right. The condition of the world today, if, if you are aware of world events today and the condition of the world today and how messed up and bad it is and going to get much, much worse, you can see that it has to be a strong ruler to keep things in line as they are so off the charts today. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. And our guest on Nightlight today has been Robert Mandelbaum, speaking to us from his home in Northern England. Thank you so much, Robert. And I know there's so much, much more on this topic that we could talk about, but let's leave that for another show. So to conclude this program, anything more that you'd like to say? Well, thanks for listening. God bless you. We hope that this has been informative and uh, show you that there is not really an end to the covenants made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that God still has, from the scriptures we've read, a purpose and usefulness for the Jews in the future. God bless you. And you'll find below the link to Robert's website, where every day he posts articles from a wide variety of news sources to keep us up to date with current events, especially those relevant to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Well, that's all from me for now, and I look forward to being back again soon with another Nightlight podcast. God bless. <music>